Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Today I'm going to be bringing the third message in a series that we've been doing entitled At Long Last. This series has been taking a look at the sense of anticipation that many of us feel for certain things that we may have felt um, have been lacking or cut off in our life. We, we're all coming through a season of, uh, of real struggle and, and real difference. And there's an anticipation that many of us can feel. Last week's message talked and touched on a return, uh, an anticipation of returning to some of the joy and, uh, in Bob's words, some of the mirth, some of the, the celebration in our life that's been missing. Title of my message today is, at long last, The Cave Before the Crown. What we're going to be looking at is David, a man that was anointed as a young boy to become the king over Israel. And he eventually did become king, and God's word was fully fulfilled in his life. But boy, in between the history, the things that David went through, between the sense of purpose and destiny that God gave him when he was anointed and the fulfillment and the reality of that sense of purpose was a very dark and trying time at many times and that's what we're going to be looking at today is there anyone here today or watching online at home who feels as if you're either completely or partially cut off from God's sight perhaps you find yourself completely overwhelmed by forces and events that seem to have cut you off from moving forward into God's plans for your life. I'm just being real here. Perhaps you find yourself remembering past times of great victories in your walk with the Lord, but now they seem a million miles and a million years away. You won't hear this type of message on TV. Maybe you find yourself in a place of darkness, a prisoner in a cave that you can see no way out of. You may be there now. You may have been there in the past. And if you're not, at some point in your life, you well could find yourself in such a place. Well, our focus today will be on a man named David, a man who was anointed as a young boy to be the future king of Israel. We're going to take a look at his life we're going to take a look at darkness that came into his life that seemed to have cut him off from God's purpose for his life, how he handled it, how God was sovereign and stayed faithful through that. Next point. 1 Samuel chapter 22. David has just come from... He, he's on the run from... King Saul. David has been anointed to be the king of Israel, but that didn't mean he became the king of Israel yet. There was a man named Saul who was the current king of Israel. And I'll keep it short, but let's just say that Saul grew very jealous of David. And through a series of events, David became endangered. His life was endangered, and he was on the run, and he found himself hiding in a cave, far from the call and the purpose that God had given him for his life. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2 says, David departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard about it, 
they went down there to meet him. Then everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 with him. He wasn't in a cave with movers and shakers. He wasn't in a cave with the elite of the kingdom. He was in a cave with the distressed, the destitute, and the brokenhearted. I think of a man that came thousands of years after him who was a friend of such people. Who was David? How did he end up hiding in a cave? How did David conduct himself while living in the cave? What was God doing in his life while he was in the cave? And what was the eventual outcome? Most importantly, how can we apply it all in our own lives? Well, according to the Bible, sometime between the ages of 8 to 15, a young man named David, the son of Jesse, was handpicked by God to become the eventual ruler and king over Israel. And God sent the prophet Samuel to the town where his father Jesse lived. And he had Jesse bring all of his sons before him. And one by one, they paraded in front of Samuel. And the first seven sons were passed over. And Samuel says, is there no one else here? And Samuel says, oh, there's one, almost as an afterthought. But he's tending the sheep, which, by the way, was like working in a car wash. I mean, it was, which I did when I first moved here. Honorable work. All work is honorable. But in that society, it was looked down on. Sadly, we, you know, we do that in our society. We shouldn't. The people that are at the lowest end typically are the hardest workers, and they're the most essential, I might add. But David came in, and he was brought before Samuel, and God said, Arise and anoint him, for he is the one. If you can bring up the next point, please. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12 and 13 the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Just a quick aside, I heard something, a teaching about 30 years ago. It always stuck with me. They said the translation of the words used when Saul was anointed, it was kind of like a vial of oil. And when David was anointed, Samuel came with a horn of oil. He slathered him up. It was big time. And it, the Spirit of the Lord didn't just come upon David. He came powerfully upon David. And from that moment on, David had a grip, a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. Is there anyone here who at any time in your life had that come upon you, that grip, that sense of purpose, that you knew this was the direction I believe God's taking me in my life? And maybe you are still there, or maybe you have felt that it has been diverted, and you've been cut off from that sense of purpose. Well, David found himself in a cave with 400 men, anointed to be the king of Israel, living in a wet, dark cave, cut off from what seemed to be his sense of destiny and purpose. I can relate to this. I can relate to this. By the way, I'm in my 40th year now in this church, and I'm in my 40th year walking with the Lord. I was just thinking about it today. The faithfulness of God. I'm in my 40th year, and 40 is a big number. It's a number of, it's so big in the Bible, like when Israel was roaming in the desert and came into the promised land. And I've been here at New Covenant for 40 years, 
And uh, I wasn't going to put this in here. I just feel to, though. It dawns on me that 40 years ago at this time, I had rolled into town from California. I had been, gotten discharged from the Marines. I was just hitchhiking across the country. And I was sleeping in a bathroom on the floor at a turnpike toll station with not a dime in my pocket. And I called up my cousin who lived here in Bethlehem. Some of you remember when I came here. And I rolled into town and God powerfully came upon me just like this. And I can say God's been faithful even through the caves in my life. Here I am. Who am I, Lord? A man who slept on a bathroom floor in the turnpike that I'd be standing up here delivering your word. God is faithful. God is so good. God doesn't look at the outer man. God looks at the heart. That's what God looks at. So don't, don't go by your circumstances. Just go by the faithfulness of God. So David's life fell right into place after he was anointed. He killed Goliath. He went out and he killed Goliath. He went into Saul's service around age 20 and was given a high rank in the army. And 1 Samuel says David was successful in all his ways and the Lord was with him. And it says that all Israel and Judah loved David. So here's David, anointed to be king, a fierce warrior. Can I tell you something? David played the harp and he was a great worshiper. And I, I like that. But can I also tell you, David was a bad dude. You did not want to mess with David. David was a bad dude. He was fierce. When he rolled into town, his enemies trembled. That guy was full of the Spirit. He was a man's man. And yet he had a heart that worshiped God. I love that combination. I love that combination. So life was very good, and God's call on David to be king appeared right on track, and everything was great. Next point. Life takes a very different turn for David. What happened was David and Saul were returning from out in the battles, and they were coming back into town, and the women of the town came out to greet them. And they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. And David is tens of thousands. This made Saul really happy. It, it would be like stepping off the bus after a football game, and you scored the touchdown, and all the cheerleaders are saying, this guy did great, but that guy did really great. All right? That's what, I'm just being real. Come on. The women in the town coming out singing, and they were ascribing to David ten times more than they were ascribing to the current king. It says, Saul became afraid of David and eyed him with suspicion from that day forward. And what happened was, twice an evil spirit came upon Saul while they were in the house, him and David, and he tried to kill David with a spear. David, who was faithful, he wasn't doing anything wrong, he wasn't looking for trouble. Have you ever found that? You've gotten up, you're obeying God, you're doing what you should, and you find yourself in trouble? Can I just tell you one thing and just speak from the heart the Christian life has trouble, it has struggle. And anyone that would try to say that if you're not living a victorious life 24 hours a day, I'm just going to say that's a lie. I'm not going to mince words. Life can be tough. It can be a struggle. And if you're in that and you're struggling, it does not mean you are weak in your faith. It means you're in life. And God loves you and he's faithful. And don't let anybody put on you that you're not following God the right way. Life can just be hard. 
So David eventually fled from Saul. And you know what? I used to think that he was on the run for like a couple months because in the Bible, it's like a half page apart. Do you know David was on the run for between eight to 10 years? So here's David full of the anointing of God who has already won many battles and Israel and Judah loved him and he was on the run for eight to 10 years because Saul was chasing him, trying to take his life. What a paradox. I'm the anointed of God. I'm anointed to be king, but I'm on the run. This doesn't make sense. Are you in a place in your life right now that doesn't make sense? Can anybody relate to this? 40 years ago, we had a retreat at church. It was, the, I think, the first one we had. I think Bill was there, Tom Horn, some others. This is 40 years ago. And I had just rolled into town. And about a month before, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I began seeking God. Like, I didn't know what seeking God was. I just knew that I prayed and like, I felt this person answering me. I didn't know any religious terms, but I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I would go out in the woods at night and I would just like, Sing to God. I don't have a good voice, but that's okay because out in the woods, it doesn't matter. And I would sing. And I would actually run and dance before the Lord because I read that David did that. And I saw he was a man's man. And I thought, well, heck, man, if David does that, I can do it. I'm an ex-Marine and this guy's a warrior. That's what we do. And boy, the anointing fell on me. And at that retreat, a, a, a prophet called me out, called me up front. And I'm walking up front and all these people are... I'm just like, who am I? I've only, I'm, I don't even know what this Christianity hardly is. And this guy anointed me and he said, there's a call on your life. God's going to come powerfully upon you. Said a bunch of great stuff over my life. For many years, my life was right on track, just like David's was. But then I found myself in a cave about six years ago. I won't go too far into that, but I can fully relate to what David was going through. He ended up in a cave called Adullam. Next point. That's the view from the mouth of the cave of Adullam overlooking what's called the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is where David killed Goliath. So here's David in a cave looking out over the scene of his great victory and probably he didn't stay in the cave 24-7. He ventured out and he came back in. And I guarantee you, he probably found himself walking across the very brook where he knelt down and picked up five smooth stones. Can you imagine the conflict and the paradox? The anointed of God now hiding in a cave, seemingly cut off, and looking every day at the scene of his greatest victory, is there anybody here who finds themselves right now looking back over great times, over victorious, wonderful times you've had in the Lord and you're like, I, I, I can't find my way back. It's dark. I can't see. I feel cut off from God's purposes. It does not mean that you're not faithful. It does not mean you're a weak Christian. It means you're part of life. It happens. And we're going to see how David responded to it. And guess what? Every cave is called a cave because it has an opening in and out. So if you're in a cave today, there's a way out. You're not trapped. There is hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So that's the view. And every day, David saw it. And this was his situation as he was looking out over it. He was in a cave. He had lost his wife. 
He had become married to King David's wife, uh, King David's daughter, Michael. He lost her. His reputation was basically shot because he was on the run. You can imagine what people back in Jerusalem must have been saying. By the way, I was thinking about this. Why would David, such a fierce warrior, run from Saul, who was such a wimp? I mean, I think he was. Turned out to be quite the coward. I don't think David was running out of fear. David was running out of obedience. David knew he could kill Saul, but he dared not touch the Lord's anointed. And he laid down his life, and he took a route that deferred to somebody else. Can I tell you something? Especially if you're young, the greatest thing you can do is if you see anybody in your life, in your job, in ministry, any walk of life that seems to be a threat to you, the greatest thing you can do is back away and defer to them and pray God's blessing upon them that they would increase. Don't even think about yourself. Don't even worry about your call. Pray for them. Don't ever... And that's just what you do. It's the right thing to do. And most times you got a choice. There's no in-between. Most times you're faced with either grow jealous and try to take them out. I don't know about you guys. Have you ever been there? Come on. I mean, boy, when I was younger, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years in the Lord now, but three, four years into the Lord, you know, they told me I was going to be an evangelist. Another evangelist rolled into town. I'd be sizing myself up against them. I don't know about you. That happened to me. And I had to repent. And God taught me, no, you pray for them. And that's what I do now. Now, we have three new elders in our church. Can I tell you that God's call is upon them? I am so glad that God has selected them and raised them up. And I've gone to each one of them and told them, I'm here for you and I want you to succeed. We want our younger generation to be greater than us. So here was David looking out over the valley. All this sense of where he came from and what was lost, and what could have been. And at that very time, he penned Psalm 142. This type of psalm doesn't come out of living on, sitting on the throne in the palace. This type of psalm comes from being in the cave. You know, David gave us the gift of probably 70% of the book of Psalms, and most of them do not speak of the victorious life. They do at the end of the most psalms, and some of them are full of praise, but a lot of them are full of gritty and raw communication with God. David was so overwhelmed and overtaken by sorrow and confusion and a sense of darkness, it drove him to lay out his heart in an absolutely authentic fashion. Next point. Okay, you're there, thanks. Psalm 142 says... This was David. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint. Before him, I pour out my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. Notice verse 2 does not say David gave thanks. Oh, but when we're faithful, we're supposed to give thanks all the time. David wasn't Teflon coated. He was a cast iron skillet. Yes, we're to give praise. Yes, we're to give thanks. But sometimes before that comes raw communication with God. And here's a, here's a little secret. God already knows what's in your heart. Okay? 
David gave thanks for many things in his life. God's goodness, God's compassion, God's mercy, his loving kindness. But David did not give thanks for the trouble that surrounded him. He was absolutely and completely honest with God. David did not complain about God, but he did pour out his complaint regarding the situation he was in. Can you see the difference? No, we don't complain about God, but we have freedom to be real with God. I believe the reason David was called the man after God's own heart. And the reason David came through some of the greatest sin that a man could possibly commit and still ended up fulfilling the call on his life was because God loved David because David was so real with God. He didn't hide anything. He gave God his heart. And in return, God said, you're a man after my own heart because God gives us his heart. So David was in a cave wanting to be at long last brought out of the cave and God was looking at David in the cave, rejoicing that at long last, here was somebody very real with me. God's always after the heart. We're always after the circumstance. God can change that like that. It's the heart. That's where the rubber meets the road. Next point. Some of you know the GHDD, Grubby's Handy Dandy Definition. This is the MHDD, Mike's Handy Dandy Definition. This is not on par with Grubby, I wouldn't try to be, but my name's Mike, so that's why the first letter is M. And I was trying to think, what's the spirit of the word complaint in this psalm? I came up with this. It's a true declaration to God. A true declaration. Not a Teflon-coated one. Not one that we think the people in our prayer circle want us to pray. So we appear, you know. This is a true declaration of where we're really at. God can handle it. It's a declaration of the sorrow, struggle, and despair we may have deep in our hearts as we face and work through times of intense struggle, overwhelming situations, and darkness that we cannot seem to fight our way out of. I've been here, I know people in this church. I won't name names, but I know warriors in this church that are right now in times of struggle and in a cave that, you know what, <laughs> they're earning stripes. When I was in the Marines, you used to get badges, stripes for different things. My greatest respect of anybody is when I see somebody come through a trial. My brother once wrote in a, inside a book, he said, only wounded veterans can lead. Boy, that's deep. What's the other one? He didn't say this, but somebody once said, never trust a man that doesn't walk with a limp. It doesn't mean God wishes ill will on us. It just means, boy, when you're giving honor to people, give special honor to those you know who have come through some real trials. Let me ask you something as we begin to close. Do you feel freedom to lay out your heart before God? No, I mean real freedom to lay out your heart. Or are you in bondage? That's a strong word, bondage. To a self-imposed restriction God never placed on your life. A restriction that says it is wrong or even a sin to bring a complaint before God. If so, God wants to set you free from that today. I'm going to go for the jugular here. I'm not going to hold back. 
I sometimes, when I'm channel surfing, I see people saying things and I go, that's just wrong. That's an affront to God's people to tell them and to make them feel. How can I say it? When I was going through what I went through six years ago, when that nerve thing came on me, I was reduced to wearing a prescribed fentanyl patch and taking four Percocet a day, doctor's prescription, and it didn't even touch it. For six months, I came to a point, I was in the bathroom, my wife was still working, I was home alone, I was in the bathroom. I would go in there and shut the door to cry so the neighbors wouldn't hear me. And I would turn on the shower water to drown out any noise. I'd just cry. And I tried doing what the people on TV said. I said, oh God, this pain isn't real. It's really not here. I envision that I'm not really in this pain. I finally came to the point, I said, you know what? Whether it's right or not, I'm telling you, no, this pain's real. And God wasn't requiring me to say something superfluous and something like, uh, oh, this pain isn't real. No, this is just put on me by the devil. It's a lie, but I don't really feel it. Yes, I felt the pain. If you're in a struggle, it's okay to be honest and real with God. And I laid it out. I said, God, I love you, but I hate what I'm in right now. This is not good, God. This hurts. And I just laid it out there. And I sandwiched it between the statement on the front and the back of that prayer, but I don't charge you with error. But having said that, what I'm dealing with is very, very hard, and I see no way out. And you know what happened? It gave me a strength because I knew that my father heard me. There's something that happens when you're real with God. And David was real with God. Is this connecting? Is this making sense? So what happened was, David's psalm ends up in a cry of victory at the end. But it came after, it came after he was honest and poured out his complaint before God. Not about God, but about what he was in. Psalm 142, verse 7, a few verses later, after David laid out his complaint, he says, Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. So David saw the light from the cave. He saw God's goodness. I believe the reason he saw God's goodness, let me tell you something, God, when you're real with God and you evoke and stir up God's heart and all of heaven and God's love and resources come and are poured out upon you, it's a wonderful thing. And is there any parent here who if their child came to them and was hurting, what would you rather your child say to you? Mommy, I fell and I'm really hurting. Oh, I need your help. This is bad, Mom. I really need your help. Or would you rather have them come and say, Mom, I fell. And I know it seems like I'm hurting, but that's just a lie. I'm not really hurting because you're good and this doesn't happen for real. Those are some of the types of prayers that sometimes people on TV are telling you to pray. That's a lie. That's a bondage. Today, God is here to say, no, you be free from that. Listen, if the man after God's own heart that God anointed and put on the throne of Israel had the freedom to be 100% authentic and real with God, then we do. 
What was the result of Dave's time in the cave? He came out of there with empathy for the downtrodden. He was living with people that were discontented and downtrodden. I believe God had him there because he knew he was about to really put him on the throne. And he wanted a compassionate, merciful king. And that's what came out. Now, Dave was in the wilderness and in various caves, but this talks about basically the time of David apart from the anointing and the time of becoming king. He came out with the heart of mercy. Because when you go through hard times and you need mercy, the first thing you want to do is show mercy. When David ascended and finally sat on the throne and the crown was put on his head, one of the first statements out of his mouth is, is there anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show mercy? <laughs> Saul's the reason he was on the run for 10 years. Is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can show mercy? David was, his heart became like God. God's heart is just instinctively mercy, mercy, mercy. Well, I'll tell you, that's far different than some of what's going around today on social media. People calling for the revealing and the judgment of God. and You know what? You leave that to God. Our job is to bring mercy. Our job is to, at every inch, every possible opportunity, in every circumstance, let's show mercy. Leave all the other stuff to God because we're not worthy to do it, believe me. And none of us would be here if we weren't shown that very same mercy. And finally, David was fully ready to become king. Last point. God's plans do not die in a cave. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, David was 30 years old, so he'd been on the run for about 8 to 10 years. He had come out of the cave. A lot of things happened, but making it short, events unfolded. Saul died. David came to the point where he was installed and reanointed by the people of Israel and Judah and was placed on the throne it says he was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. And that's known as the golden age of Israel. The man that was in the cave sat on the throne and reigned over Israel for 40 years of their golden years. How about you? Are you in a cave right now? Could it be that God has incredible plans for you? Look, we're not called, I know I'm not called to be a king, but... It's all relative. Whatever call you feel God has on your life, whatever sense of purpose, it could be something like running a children's home. It could be, it could be coaching a football team. It, whatever destiny God has on your life, that's real to you. If you're in a cave and you seem cut off from that, let me tell you that it's not going to die in a cave. You're, if you're in a cave right now, it ain't over. It's going to be over one day. I remember I used to ask my wife, when, it, when I was at my hardest point going through all that, it was about six years ago, I went through it probably for four years. I still get an occasional flare-up, but nothing like before. And I used to sit on my couch and I would say to my wife, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to end? And she'd say, I don't know when, but it will. That gave me just enough hope to hang on. I don't know when, but it will. God's promise to David was that somebody would come from him and sit on that throne forever. 
And thousands of years later, a man named Jesus came from the seed of David and was raised up, died on a cross, gave his life as a ransom for our sins, rose from the dead, and is now on the throne. He's on the throne in heaven. If you want to enter in, if you're somebody on TV that's watching right now, on, on, online, or if you're here with us today, and you want to enter into that sense of overwhelming destiny, that sovereign love and sovereign plan that God has for a life, if you want your life to come in under such a plan, such a mercy that followed David, you can do that today. And God wants you to come in under the lordship and authority of the real king, the eternal king of kings named Jesus, the son of God who came from heaven. And the Bible says he walked on the face of the earth and he laid down his life at the foot of the cross and he shed his blood because we're all separated from God. Our sins have separated us from God even as the cave seemed to separate David from all that was good. Our sins, we have sin. It separates us from God. But when Jesus died and shed his blood, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who, who came from David, but he's the eternal king. He's the son of God, 100% God, 100% man. The Bible says his blood can take away all our sins. And it says there's no other name that you can be saved under, under heaven. No other name, not under David, not under any great man that ever lived, but only under Jesus. Jesus is the name above all names. And if you come to God through Jesus, you will end up under that umbrella of lifetime protection and love. And you will always have a future hope that will not be cut off. The Bible says when you die, you will go to heaven. The Bible says God has a plan for you and it won't be cut off. So if we could all bow our heads right now, and I'm going to give people an opportunity. If you would like to do that, I'm going to pray, and you can just pray along with me. And if you're at line, online, you can pray along with me also. And then afterwards, uh, our pastor online, if you have any questions, you can talk to him. But if you'd like to come under the kingship of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who died for you, and come under God's love and bring your life under that sovereign love and mercy and go to heaven when you die, just pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for my sins. My sins cut me off from you. It's all my fault. You're a good God. I believe Jesus died. I believe he shed his blood. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I ask him to be my Savior. I ask him to be my king. I ask him to come into my heart and save me. Welcome to the family of God. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.